Hey, good morning. I don't mind getting heckled. And like Deborah, because it means I know you're listening. So if you feel like you want to heckle, heckle. I've also realised that I've left my Bible somewhere and I've no idea where it is, but I think what I need is in here. No, that's not going to help. It's, it's, not, it's not got the marks in. That's Annie's Bible. That's not a real one. No, no, don't worry about it. I think I've got one here. I just want everyone to know that I have got one. I have got one. Hang on, I'm going to move this as well, otherwise... This is going to, is it going to cackle all the way through? Yes. Not for that. Well, there we go. I'll clip it behind me. Okay. Good morning. Um, we are in the middle of a um, series, if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, a short series, just four weeks, where we're looking at the practice of Sabbath. Now, some of us went to Birmingham Vineyard yesterday to go and do a bit of training for the morning where this guy who had the brain the size of a house crammed into a normal size head. Um, <laughs> Just blue. There was about five of us. And was there five of us? Yeah. And I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I know me and my dad came away and was like, oh my goodness me, I just feel completely inadequate. I don't know, <laughs> don't know enough. And then everyone else was like, oh, I'm glad I'm not talking tomorrow. <laughs> and sure enough, I'm here. So thankfully, this isn't a deep theological talk. This is a practical talk. I can handle practical talks. Um, all I can say is I'm glad I'm not preaching on the parables because I'd have had to have completely rewritten my talk last night. So we're in the middle of this series where we're looking at the practice of Sabbath and practices are practical. So this is something that we want you to all go in. I'm echoing. Sounds like there's four of me in the room. Sorry, get distracted. Um, this is something that we all want us to go away and practice. Um, and as a church, we believe that it's not just We're not just here to learn about what Jesus did and learn about his teachings, but actively seek to follow in his footsteps and um, put his teachings into practice in our own lives. So that's one of the reasons we're exploring Sabbath together. I know the next couple of years we're going to have different practices that we're going to to look at. Prayer is going to be the next one later in the year. Spoiler alert. But we understand that these ancient practices can be a powerful act of resistance, especially in a world that often demands our constant productivity. And Sabbath, as we've already said, as Michelle and Dan have already mentioned, Sabbath is a gift. It brings us rest, renewal, and a closer connection with God. So, so far, Dan started off and we looked at um, stop, how the first rhythm of Sabbath is for us to stop, stop our work, stop our busyness, stop our Um, self-importance, stop stop our focus on self, just stopping the things that we have to do. And we looked at how God deliberately stopped in the story of creation, setting aside one day to rest. And so we're also made, if we're made in God's image, we're also made to rest. And this is a rhythm that God has actually woven into the fabric of the universe. And after um, after we stop, we're called to rest, as Michelle spoke on last week. We rest so we can trust in God, trust that God is still at work when we're not, trust that we have done enough, and trust that we are enough. And so this is where we press into the promise as we read in Matthew 11, where it says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Recover your life. 
Learn to live freely and lightly. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. In fact, I've got a setting on my phone on a, our Sabbath runs from Friday that we, we do it from Friday night to Saturday night. And between those hours, the screen on my phone, all the apps disappear off my phone. I've spent ages making it do that at midnight on uh, Saturday. because I can't work out how to do it at about five o'clock on a Friday. And, the, and, the, and that passage comes up on the screen. So every time I pick up my phone on Sabbath, which I try not to do, it reminds me, come to me and I'll give you rest. So if you've missed any of the last two weeks, they are online. Um, I'd encourage you to catch up on those. And then Deborah's going to come. Seeing as Deborah spoiled mine by telling everyone that I was going to talk on Delight this morning, I'll ruin hers and say she's going to talk on worship next week. So, you know, got, got your back there. Yeah, yeah. So if, yeah, yeah, if, you've, if, you've, um, if, you've not, if you've missed those there online, you can um, catch up with those. That would be great. So as we stop the rhythms of Sabbath, as we stop and then we rest, the next one is that we're called to delight. And this starts at the very beginning of time, the practice of Sabbath of stop, rest, delights, and worship. So let's begin again in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. God saw, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all work of creating, from all the work of creating that he had done. So as we've mentioned before, the word um, translated as rested or rest is Shabbat in Hebrew. And while this literally means to stop, or to, to rest. It's also got this idea of um, God delighting in his work. Perhaps you've grown up with the, the idea of Sabbath being a day where you stop and rest, but this idea of delighting um, is new to you. So Sabbath is not just a day of rest, it is that, but it is also this day of delight. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn me to Isaiah 58. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. And also, if you don't have a Bible, not that it'd be any good to you now because they're just New Testaments, but you could still pick one up. We have Bibles that you can, or New Testaments that you can have. But I'm going to say it's not going to be um, much use to you at the moment, but it's good to take away and read if you want one. Just ask one of the team and they'll grab one of those for you. So in Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, we read, Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honour the Sabbath in everything that you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honour and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Or the message, in the message, which is a different translation, it says this, if you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath, day, Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day is a celebration. If you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritances of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. So we shouldn't be surprised that Sabbath is a day or should be a day of joy and delight. We could get a bit depressive here, sorry. It's a good classic Pete talk. It's funny that I'm talking under light. He's not very... We'll come more on that later. Um, 
But many of us will know that our lives are too often a battle with sorrow and weariness and they're not very joyful. But unfortunately, in life, sorrow is inevitable. Tim Keller wrote, because the world is full of ugly things, we need the Sabbath to feed our souls with beauty. And it's true, the world is full of ugly things. It's also full of beautiful things. And the Sabbath is one of those mechanisms um, that we've been given through which God can um, reveal reveal to us the goodness that he has created. In Genesis, again, we read, God saw that it saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And the Hebrew word here that's translated as good or very good is the word tov, or tov, as in mazel tov. Is that how you say it? Um, Which means something different, but that's the same word. Um, But this Hebrew word is translated as good, um, but it also has a fuller intent. It implies that something has fulfilled its purpose for which it was created. It's full of goodness, full of beauty. It's exactly as God intended. So God created the earth and he looked at it and he said, Tove, it is good. It is how I intended it to be. It is exactly as I want it to be. But all too often, this goodness that God has created, this beauty of a life with God can be drowned out by ugliness. And that's obviously a a result of the fallout of Eden. You know, and we just have to, I don't, we can think of lots of examples, but just one um, example is the constant availability of news and information through mass media, particularly the 24-7 news cycle, exacerbates this, the negative effect of rage and fear in our society. And we know about left-leaning news and right-leaning news, and some people on the left say that the right's too left, and who knows, but... The reality is all news tends to focus focus downwards. Bad news grabs our attention. Bad news sells. The focus is more often than not the negative news and alarming events. It's almost like an addiction, doom scrolling on Twitter or something like that. And slow news days tend to be the only day when they sort of pick a nice story or a good story. Some lighter news makes the grade when there is no bad news to tell. And then we can add 24-7 social media into the mix. And we all know the scandal and anger and local... Have you ever, have you part of a Facebook group that is like... I've, for some reason, the other day, or a couple of weeks ago, I joined this Facebook group, which is slightly addictive. And it's full of photos of people parking badly in Northampton. <laughs> is anyone else part of that group? I can't share the name because it's got a very rude name. And people take photos of... I don't, I'm going to upset some people in the room. Generally, BMWs <laughs> taking photos of them parked really badly. And the anger that people like, and comment, that's terrible. Like, I've got, my aim is to be on that page. <laughs> I would love to see, because they don't hide anything. They show you number plate, name and shame. Part of the name is called name and shame. Um, and he thinks I'm a too, too much of a goody two-shoes because I... Don't like breaking the rules, but one day I think I'm going to park badly and hope that someone takes a photo. But the anger that these groups, well, I don't know why I joined it, but people, there's hundreds of people in these groups just getting angry at each other. Anyway, I digress. But sometimes in an attempt to not be too moany or grumpy online, 
We inadvertently, or perhaps intentionally, go the other way and create this persona with our images and stories, um, just highlighting the positives of life, just the positives, the happy memories, the smiley kids, the days out with everyone looking so serene and lovely. But what does this do? It creates a curated life. The people who look at it will compare their lives to ours, but also we look at other people who do that and compare our lives to theirs. We see all that they have and, what, and we, we focus on what we don't have. Even though we both know that it's not a true reflection of life. And all these things can diminish our joy day to day. So as Teddy Roosevelt famously said, comparison is the thief of joy. Humans have always compared themselves to each other. It's not just a social media thing or a news thing. We've always been attracted to negative news. We've always struggled to find joy in our circumstances. It doesn't matter what your fridge magnet says. We don't naturally live, laugh, love. <laughs> Human nature dictates that we have to pick ourselves up each day and fight for joy. And as Jesus said, just to highlight this point even further before everyone gets really, really depressed, as Jesus um, highlighted to his disciples in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say you may have trouble or you might have trouble or if you're unlucky, you might, have, you might be unlucky and have some. It says you will have trouble. Sorrow is inevitable. Jesus said so. And this doesn't matter whether you're half glass, half full, half whatever person. This isn't based on how rich you are or how intelligent you are or your status. Trouble and sorrow is just part of life. Well, I've just completely destroyed the room. I'm done. Have a good week. But, no, but, yeah, now we're going to bring you back now. We've got to the bottom of the unhappiness curve. We're going to go back up. But, Jesus goes on to say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Trouble does not have to have the last word. It's not the end of the story. Jesus has rewritten the story and given us a different ending. He has overcome the world. He said it himself. So what does it mean to live the life that he intended, that Jesus intended? Is this without trouble? Is it going to be easy? No, it's the same life. But, that, but he does give us an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to live in a world that he has designed, to live the way that he has created us to live. And that means being intentional, making choices, not plastering a smile on our face and forcing joy, but walking in the way that he has made us. And here is the secret. It's about abiding in him. We read in John 15 this simple but really quite complex instruction. It says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be with you and that your joy may be complete. Now, just a quick go through about abiding. Now, in a biblical sense, abiding means remaining or staying, so remaining or staying in God's um, presence. If we accept and remain in God's love, it washes over us. It's not ours to earn or to seek, but when we abide in God and his love, just as Jesus says, it dovetails with keep my commandments. Because as we live, as we live in his love, 
We can't help but live out his commandments. And the commandments are more than just a bunch of rules to keep us on the straight and narrow. They're to carve out a life that brings us fullness and richness and joy, a playbook for life that is countercultural and that challenges the rule of life that the world dictates and instead highlights God's best life for us, where joy wins over sorrow, where we may have trouble, but remember that he has overcome the world. So abide in my love, keep my Father's commands so that your joy may be complete. What a promise. Jesus actually wants us to have joy. He wants us to have his delight. So if we look again in back in Isaiah where we started, it says, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find the joy of the Lord. So what is joy? The first point is joy is not happiness. Happiness is a feeling when things are going great, when the sun's out, maybe the first day of summer, when it's finally warm, maybe, get warm again. You don't have to turn the heating on in here. When you finish your to-do list, you've got a long to-do list, you've finished it, that's happiness. Maybe when you finish work for the week, maybe when you're doing a hobby that you love, maybe when you're with your best friend or your family, maybe you're on the beach with the kids, um, when everything is going perfectly. Happiness is that warm, fuzzy feeling the moments that we treasure. And we should embrace happiness. And I think sometimes we can, especially when we talk about joy and happiness, we can say joy is better than happiness. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think we need to learn to embrace happiness. It's okay to be happy, but it's not joy. Joy is different. Joy is deeper than happiness. Joy is not a feeling that comes and goes like happiness does. And joy is paired with an action, and that action is to rejoice which means it takes an intentional behavior. It's an intentional behavior. It's a choice. It's a discipline. It's a character trait, something that we cannot become on our own. It's the kind of person that we become through following Jesus. In Galatians 5, joy is the second fruit of the Spirit after love. So in a classical language, it's a virtue, just like wisdom or courage or fortitude, and it must be developed as such, which is why... Joy is a discipline. And there are times in life when joy is easy and it's a natural response to the circumstances in your life. So your wedding day, that's a pretty joyous occasion. Or when you receive really good news. Or maybe when you're you're a parent and your baby smiles at you for the first time and there's that emotional connection. There There are times when joy naturally happens but there are also times where joy is a sheer act of obedience a discipline to index our hearts towards all that's good and this indexing Richard Foster um, called the discipline of celebration and he said the discipline is to to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of will so like I said, it's not natural. Maybe it's natural for some people to walk around with a big smile on your face and ooze this deep joy all the time. Those are rare people indeed. And I'll be honest, I wish I was more like that. And I've got a long way to go before I am like that. Everyone's nodding. 
But it's a discipline, it's an action, it's a choice that we have to commit to. It comes through following God's lead. God is a joyful God. Jesus radiated joy. But Jesus had heartache, frustration and sorrow. But his character was that of deep, deep, deep joy. He knew who he was by abiding in God, in following his commands, in retreating and resting and getting away with God in Sabbath delight. So because joy is contagious, when you spend time with someone who's joyful, in the presence of someone who's joyful, a joy giver, we find it hard not to experience that joy. And, you know, for lots of us, we've experienced that just a moment ago in worship. I mean, a room full of people who are singing out in joyfulness. I was going to say, I've, I've got a point here. So the first week up, um, back in January was the busiest Sunday we've had since 2018, but I'm pretty sure this might have been just as busy. It felt just as busy. Or if you go to upper room and people are just pouring out their hearts, you can't help in those moments to feel joyful because the room is full of joy. This is bounding peace. It's like a flip in your stomach when you know that God is love. This joy is this contagious joy. And the more time we spend with God, abiding in God, then that can't, we can't help but catch that joy. But as much as it can be joyful here on a Sunday morning, for us in our house, it can be a battle to leave the house, to get the kids out. Well, why do we have to go to church in the morning? Why do we have to go and do that? To get everyone up and out and ready. To get, when we come in, there's problems. Computer's not working or whatever. There's so many things to do, technical problems to solve. And then we have this moment of joy in, in the service, and then as soon as we leave, you know, get back home, there's homework to do. Not my homework. It'd be right if it's my homework. It'd be my control, wouldn't it? Um, the kids have got homework. They're messy. The house is messy. The dog needs a walk. They're back to work on Monday, and it's the same old grind, and that moment of joy has gone. So it's so easy to not stay in that joyful presence. This is why it's a discipline to stop, to rest, and to delight. Because the world is a busy place for lots of people. The demands are constant. There's never enough time to stop and rest and abide. So we have to create this discipline of celebration. Because discipline equals routine, and routine equals habit. And we have to choose our yeses and noes all week long to honour the Sabbath. In our house... We've had to think about this. We've had to think about when kids can go to clubs, where we'll fit in the housework, what meetings and commitments we've got during the week to create this rule of life to prioritise our Sabbath, to prioritise our rest and to prioritise delight. We've got to create this framework, a routine in the week that makes Sabbath delight a priority. So that come tea time or dinner time on a Friday, we can say... We are done, as the Walters say. It's Shabbat today. <laughs> it's, oh, it's only Dan that calls it Shabbat today. I'm going to start calling it Shabbat today in our house. But just on Friday, when we can say, we are, I am done. I am done. And I'll be honest, that is really, really hard for me. I made a promise at the beginning of the, well, end of last year, the autumn, maybe in the summer. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that I'd finish work at three o'clock on a Friday to try and so I didn't feel like I was skidding into Sabbath at full pelt. I think I finished at six on Friday. So I'm not doing a great job at that. 
That's where I am now. So to become people of joy that God intended us, we need to abide, but also we need to create this, um, we need to practice celebration and delight. Now, you'll probably get a good, I'm being really vulnerable here again. Um, You'll probably know how well our Sabbath's gone, because our Sabbath, we we do it from Friday night to Saturday night. You'll probably know how well our Sabbath's gone by how we are on here on a Sunday morning. Um, and you're sitting there thinking, well, they're not very good at Sabbath. Um, because if we've had if we've had a good Sabbath, if we've not not done it right, but I suppose for want of a better word, done it right, then actually that will carry us through for the rest of the week. If we've messed up or you know, things have crept in, then that creeps in for the rest of the week. But like I said, if we've, if, we've done it, if we've done it well and we've done good things, if we've been creative in our house or we've got outdoors or we've feasted or we've spent time with family or friends, we've shared moments with each other, that's a joyful Sabbath and that will continue through the week. If we've done housework, or forgot to put the washing in, or, I don't know, worked. I I opened a letter two weeks ago on Saturday, on our Sabbath, and it completely ruined the day because it was about our mortgage. So I learned a valuable lesson, let me tell you. Do not open the post on your Sabbath. Whatever day it is, I mean, if it's a Sunday, fine, it doesn't come anyway. But if it's another day of the week, do not open your post. Put it in a pile and open it the next day because it's amazing how one little thing can completely... Ruin it in that moment. Ruined. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to sort the mortgage out all day. And it's completely ruined it. But Sabbath should be a happy day. A day of delight. An entire 24-hour period set aside to follow God's example, to stop, to rest, to delight in God's word, to let our minds focus on all that's good in the earth, that all that is tove. A time to create a view of the world with special attention to things that are good, the beautiful, and that are true. And Dan Allender summarized it with this. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. It's the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and a day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all its fullness. Few people are willing to enter Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. So what brings that delight to you? What makes your heart sing? And when was the last time you dedicated an entire day to it? What would it look like if you indulged yourself once a week? One day a week where you just stop. Instead of toiling and working, you just enjoy being in the moment. The phones go down. The devices are shut off, the work is stopped, and we're present and engaged. One thing that I have, I'm not brave enough to do yet, but one thing this year I'm going to try and do is not wear a watch on the Sabbath. I've always worn watches, as long as I can remember. And one of the things I want to do is not wear on a Saturday, because time shouldn't matter. 
on the on the Sabbath. In our home, like I've touched on, and I think it, I found it helpful when um, Michelle and Dan have shared, and I always find it helpful when other people share what their Sabbath looks like because everyone's Sabbath will look different. So I'm going to share a bit about what ours looks like, and you can say that sounds horrendous or that sounds good. If it sounds good, you can come and join us. Um, but in our home, the things that um, bring us joy, creativity, we play games, we build Lego. Lego is a big feature in our house on Sabbath. We try and eat good food. We like to be with friends and family. And we like to create time where we can listen to each other and listen to each other's stories. We get the Christmas chocolates out. Yes, we do still have Christmas chocolates. Um, we still get Easter chocolates in our house, which is a bit strange. Um, and then we get the kids' favorite treats out. And you might find us sitting around the table, um, playing, like I said, playing with Lego or scrapbooking. Not me, I don't scrapbook. But the kids and Anya love to scrapbook. You might find us in different rooms reading something. Um, you might find us watching a movie. The girls will be watching something snuggled up together on the sofa. You'll find us going outdoors. You'll find me going outdoors on my own and leaving everyone else at home. Or going out for coffee or seeing friends. And be back before Christmas, um, I don't know if some of you may remember, but I spoke on Sabbath in our last series. Um, and you remember, remember me talking about pleasure stacking? I love pleasure stacking. Now, I call it stacked on stacked in our house, but as Annie pointed out, I shouldn't say that because it's out of a gangster rap song about stacking money on top of money. <laughs> it's not. That's what I say. Stacks on stacks. Um, I lost where I am now. <laughs> oh, yeah, pleasure stacking, thanks. But, yeah, pleasure stacking, I'm all over that. I can get on board with that. Um, and pleasure stacking is familiar. It's not a new concept to the world. People pleasure stack all the time, but often we keep it till Christmas, you know. Oh, I'm going to buy really good food since Christmas. Or when you go on holiday, oh, I'm going to save, <laughs> save all my money so I can go on holiday. When we go on holiday, we can eat out every night. Or buy a new wardrobe. Or if anyone's seen Parks and Rec, anyone's a fan of Parks and Rec? No, Sam is. Oh, it's pretty handy then. Never there. <laughs> okay, well, that other one, I'm glad I didn't play that video. There's a TV show called Parks and Rec, and they have a thing called Treat Yourself. There's a day, the best day of the year where they go, these characters go, and they treat themselves to all of the things that but they do it one year. We're invited to do it every week to do that. But in... In our lives, we can also stack so many other things up. We can stack work, time, commitments. And pleasure stacking, can, especially every week, can sound so indulgent. Our weeks can contain or can comprise of task stacking, just stacking tasks or piling up work or jobs around the house or consuming things. But this is a call to reverse that, to pile on things that bring us joy, that bring us pleasure. One on top of the other. So maybe you have a piece of cake with some cream and then you have some ice cream. <coughs> Treat yourself. And all these things release dopamine, the natural hormone of happiness. And as we've highlighted, joy, deep joy, is being different, is different to being um, different to happiness. But in those moments of in those moments of happiness and Sabbath, we should come to recognize that it's a celebration and an enjoyment. 
that God invites us to this, to, into this spirit of celebration. So we read earlier on, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day is a celebration. If you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. And I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. So what brings you joy? That's the challenge of the week. Think about what brings you joy. Because what brings me joy and what brings you joy be completely different things. It's completely different in our house. Um, one of the things that I'm getting into is poetry because it appeals to my attention span because they're short um, as a way of reading. And I wouldn't naturally, I've, ne I've, I've, I've never been a good reader. I was in the slow readers group. Um, but poetry, I'm, I'm enjoying that. I think I've shared with a few people. I had a day where I took myself off as an extra Sabbath day and I went and looked at locks in the v because I'm a weirdo. All these things bring me deep, deep joy. But if I took Eleanor, our eldest, she wouldn't find joy in those. She'd find joy in something completely different. So what brings you joy? Because the struggles that we face in the Willis house, finding the balance in our rest in the week, have been completely transformed by finding things that bring us joy on the Sabbath. We don't want to squeeze it in to anything less than 24 hours. If the washing goes on, we're, we're grumpy. Because we don't want any minute of our Sabbath, of our Sabbath joy to be stolen. We never want it to end. And often it will creep on into a Sunday anyway. It brings us joy, it brings us life, and it's exactly what we need. Now saying all that, and as others have shared, not every Sabbath looks like that for us at all. I wouldn't want you to think that we've got it all together. I'm, I doubt that you are thinking that. Um, sometimes they are, to be perfectly honest, utter failures. But when we do get it right, when we take time to prepare, when it's, as God said at the beginning, when it's tove, when it's as it was intended, it's easily the best day of the week. So Sabbath is a day of joy and celebration, but it's also designed to be shared. We want others to look in and say, I wish I could have a day like that every week. Because the invite is for everyone. It's not just for us. The gift of Sabbath is available whether we choose to accept it or not. God gives it. We've just got to choose to accept it. Now, a few weeks ago, we had some friends over on a Friday, and like I said, that's when we start our Sabbath. Um, and we were trying to explain to them what our Sabbath looked like. So we started with a prayer. We've got, um, I've made them the prayer cards. We always try and read that. Um, and um, Annie's got some candles that we light, and the girls like to take it in turns lighting the candles. So we did all this. Then Anya knocked the candles on the floor, and glass went everywhere. Wax went everywhere. So that kind of took the, you know, distracted us from the moment. But we cleared that up and then got back on, onto, um, onto it. And then we feasted with them. We went around there. We like to go around the table and we like to say, um, we like to practice the discipline of um, thankfulness. So we say what's, what we are thankful for in the previous week. And we share what's going what's gonna to bring us joy over the next 24 hours. And it was just such a good time to do it in community, to share that with somebody else. So what does Sabbath look like in community for you? Now, we've obviously got community circles. 
And thus, our community circles, if you're part of them, you'll know that, well, hopefully, you're exploring this idea of Sabbath to get together. It's a great place for thrashing out ideas and putting ideas into action and to holding each other to account. Or perhaps you live alone and the Sabbath is just another day. Have you been by yourself? Who could you connect with to make it a Sabbath special? Perhaps his life is too full. Or perhaps you know someone who you look at their life and their life is too full. What could you do to help them carve out some space so they can celebrate um, Sabbath? Maybe you could give some help with the kids so they can go and do something as a couple or whatever it is. Community can help you work out a routine, help you keep you accountable, um, finishing work on time or creating space to do this. Can you inspire one another in creativity? Maybe learn, learning and activities that would bring joy. Perhaps meeting to, well, I don't, maybe not this, but meeting together to do a craft. I'm not into that. But, or knitting groups or whatever it is. Can you think of um, any ideas where you could invite others into that um, life-giving celebration? We heard a story in the week of one of our community groups, someone that was going to go to the Good Life um, if it was last Saturday, Saturday before, and just messaged the rest of the group and said, hey, we're going to the, going to the good life as a, as a family. Would you like to join us? And I think there was like 17 turned up and like took over half the good life. I mean, for me, that's just an incredible way to start Sabbath. You know, it was so spontaneous, but just to start Sabbath together in that way. So something healing and deep happens when we say yes to joy and delight and no to busyness and distraction. When we refuse to feed our souls with a downward turn of society instead of feast, and instead feast on God and the goodness that he has destined for us. Sabbath delight is countercultural, and celebration is a discipline. Delight will require us to say no to some things in order to say yes to joy. Part of Sabbath is learning to slow down, slow down the pace of our overall life, to live with, perhaps to live with moderation during the week in order to turn Sabbath into a celebration. Maybe we, le- maybe we need to learn how to fast so we can feast on Sabbath, to guard and protect the Sabbath day from all that is ugly and sad and untrue, and replace it with things that are beautiful and joyous and life-giving. Marva Dawn, as a few of us have quoted in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, recommend getting a copy of that if you can, says, Observing the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to be as careful as we can to fill our lives with beauty and to share beauty with the world around us. When we observe a day specially set apart for beauty, all of the rest of the rest of life is made more beautiful. So as we close this morning, this will require you, require you to give yourself to joy. Rabbi Reb Zelman said, recommends that you begin starting your Sabbath by saying, today I'm going to pamper my soul. And so for those of you who are new to Sabbath, a great question to ask yourself is, what could you do for a 24-hour period that would bring you deep joy, deep joy in God? Sabbath should not be this dreary religious obligation, but a life-giving day of delight. 
So to finish, I'll repeat um, some of the words of Dan Allender. It says, Sabbath is a holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all its fullness. Sabbath should be the delight of your week. And what a gift that God has given us. Okay, should we stand?